Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is August 14, 2013. This is episode 1186 of the Survival Podcast, and I have a returning guest, Mr. Joe Riles. I had Joel on a while ago, and Joel, among many things, was a major in the United States Army, worked with MPs and a variety of other security apparatuses, and became very interested in training canines and runs a company called Dunitas Canine. And we had him on the air before, and when we did, what we talked about was canines and dogs and how to train dogs and making them part of your preps and the role they can play in security and different breeds and training methodologies and things like that. Well, he's back today, and we're going to talk very little about dogs. We're going to talk about a new program he has uh, that is called the Dunitas Training Program, which involves dogs at some level, but it's only one piece of the uh, the puzzle. What it's really about is raising the next generation of men. We're going to talk about something that's come up a lot on the air recently here, the teacup generation. But instead of complaining about the teacup generation, we're going to show you what one man is doing to change things for the better uh, and give you some ideas on how you can have a strong impact on people around you, whether you're a parent or not. If you're a business owner, if you're a community leader, if you're anyone out there that cares about this next generation, um, complaining is one thing, doing is a hell of a lot better. Remember, our, our word of the uh, word of the month seems to have become duocracy. The people that do things get to decide. Well, Joel's, Joel is a doer. Uh, before I bring Joel on, though, let's go ahead and uh, take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is the Berkey Guy. Jeff, the Berkey Guy Gleason. What are you going to get from the Berkey Guy? Shocking as it might be, you're going to get Berkey water filtration stuff from the Berkey guy. The filter systems, replacement filters, filter, everything Berkey you will find at the Berkey guy. Hey, he's the Berkey guy. What else would you expect? How about a lot of other really great stuff for your prepping needs, including if you are an MSB member, how'd you like to be able to get a discount on Mountain House, not just during a sale, but anytime you feel like it? The Berkey guy can do that for you. But if you just need a Berkey, why go to the Berkey guy? Are you going to do not go to the Berkey guy? Does that make sense, to buy your Berkey from the non-Berkey guy? Don't be that guy. Be the guy that bought his Berkey from the Berkey guy. Check out his website, directive21.com. Next up today, uh, Chef Keith Snow and harvesteating.com. Chef Keith, the man that will teach you to make cooking a life skill and teach you how to cook seasonally and locally with the freshest ingredients that you can find because they're right out your back door, either grown in your garden or acquired from your local CSA, etc., won't focus on recipes but technique. That way you'll be able to take any uh, really great food and make it into even better food. Cooking is a life skill. Uh, it's something that more and more people do need to learn. It's part of growing up, folks. I can't tell you how many of our young people don't know how to cook if it doesn't involve a microwave and the 30-second button. Uh, Chef Keith will help with that as well. Uh, and he also has some really great products, some great seasonings, a great cookbook, a great podcast. Check him out today. The website is harvesteating.com. Next up, I do want to remind you guys about the Member Support Brigade. If you join my Member Support Brigade, this is what will happen. You'll get about $200 worth of free ebooks that you can download in PDF fashion the day you sign up. And the Member Support Brigade is 50 bucks. 
So that's a return of investment. Then you'll get discounts to over 40 different supporting vendors that if you're buying stuff from the tactical to the practical, from gardens to guns and food storage and everything in between, if you're buying a little bit of stuff here and there every year, I've got so many discounts that you'll get a return of your investment. And the best part is you'll be supporting the show at about 18.3 cents per episode. For more on the Survival Podcast Members Support Brigade, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. For those of you that are like, I want every episode of the Survival Podcast ever produced, and I want it to be simple and easy, and I don't want to go through and download them one at a time, hey, that's one of the great benefits. Every episode ever produced in convenient zip files, you download them in blocks of 24, and you can import them straight into iTunes, and they'll work right for you there, or spending wherever else you want to uh, to play them. So that's some of the, the cool stuff that maybe I don't talk about once in a while about the Member Support Brigade. But every one of you folks that have joined the Brigade and uh, supported the show, thank you very much for your support in the past, the present, or the future. Um, I also want to say uh, real quick before we uh, we bring uh, Joel on how important I think that today's episode is. Um, I want to set the stage a little bit before I bring Joel on about what's at stake here. Uh, and I also want to let you know you may hear some air compressor sounds and uh, some other noises in this interview and a few spots that kind of seem a little bit spliced together. This week I have uh, painters in my house. Um, scraping the ceilings and doing the type of work that I'm just not good at. And if it's going to be in my house forever and I'm not good at it, I'll get a professional to do it. Uh, and that was going on during this interview, but we had to make it work in the time frame that we had allotted. So uh, I apologize for that in advance. But, yeah, the, the, what, we, what we have at stake is the very future of this country. I just did a show um, about how preppers can save the ideals of America and maybe one day actually bring the promise of America that's never been to bear. Uh, that won't happen without the next generation picking up the baton and moving forward. And right now, I feel we are in a society where our children are more ill-prepared for the future than at any time in history to simply be men and women. Um, I, I just don't think we're there. I think we've lost so much. And I think young men need to learn to stand up again. How, how, I mean, I'm going to be flat out honest. With you. I think men need to learn how to take a freaking punch in the nose again. I, and really, they do, without bawling about it. And then you've got the other side of society uh, in, in this group of young men that have no real moral compass, but yet they, they're tough and they'll get in fights and they'll beat on each other, and they think that's what makes a man. A man is balanced, right? You fight when you have to, and you avoid conflict whenever possible. But if there's an injustice in front of you, you fix it. If you get scraped up in pursuit of defense of, of an honorable thing, or you get scraped up just in life, you just get up, brush yourself off, and move on. Our society has, is devolving. It's devolving into freaking pop culture, rap music, and video games. And I don't actually have a problem with any of those things individually. It's the level of consumption. Just like even though I'm paleo, I don't care if you eat some rice or some bread. I have a problem when you're eating all rice and bread. It makes you fat and blows up your insulin levels. This is where we're at with video games and things like that today. When I was a kid, I played video games. Um, sometimes I played them probably for longer than I should, but I also got up and went out and did stuff. And you get bored after a while and go do things. And then, you know, along the way somewhere, like, you know, the video game just started to collect dust. And, like, my life outside was more important than my life inside my home. And I went out and I learned things like how the world works. And I had relationships beyond the computer screen. And I had men around me to look to and say, this is how a man conducts himself. When I was a child, 
If another man was a rude ass to a woman in public, he got corrected in public. The men of my family and the men of the town I grew up in, if something like that happened, it happened very rarely, but it did happen. They didn't go, oh, take the children away. No. They went directly to the offender and said, hey, first thing you're going to do is apologize to everybody. Then you're going to apologize to the person you offended directly. And then you're going to agree never to do that again, or you're going to get roughed up. And you're not going to be welcome around here anymore. Do you understand? And generally, the response was, I'm sorry. I really am. I didn't mean it. Now, what happens when children observe this behavior? They model this behavior. They model this behavior. Children model the behavior of their parents and the other adults around them, whether you realize it or not. Current behavior is apathetic and focused on bullshit by the average American. So that is exactly the behavior that these children are modeling. If we don't take hold of this now, the next generation is really in trouble. Because we'll have about four generations of this degrading going on. And we're about to hit a critical mass where it can't go much lower before it's so in our face and causes so many problems that we're going to have to do something about it reactionary. What Joel's doing is proactive. It's like I talked about the fact that one of the things that encourages me about the future of this nation is for the first time that I know of in history, I see people rebuilding a society before it collapses. Everything from just preppers to the permaculture transition movement and everything in between. That's what it's all about. With what we're at now, we have not hit rock bottom with this generation of children. We really haven't. There's a lot to be hopeful for. There's a lot of intelligence there. Some of these kids are more educated with fact than any time in history, and some are dumber than a box of rocks. But it's not their fault either way. It's our fault for letting the system create them. We need to be proactive. Not everybody's going to go out and put together a training program like Joel did, and that's okay. But you'll hear me at a point in this, this, this broadcast, in my discussion with Joel, say one thing I would advise parents to do is once your children can do something for themselves, let them do something for themselves. And if I could go back and edit it, and I don't do that, but if I could go back and edit it, I would say require them to do it for themselves. It is only by taking that one simple step that we can begin the journey down to the road to restoring manhood and womanhood in this country to the place that it's supposed to be. I spoke to my new intern today about where his site was going and where his podcast he's planning was going. And he's like, getting started is the hardest part. And I said, no, it's really not. Just do something. On the journey, you'll find your way to success. If we were walking from here to Capel... I don't know all of the ways to get there, but I know I'm going to have to go down that road right outside of my street first, and that's about a mile long. So I'm going to start walking, and I'll figure out where to turn during the journey. Well, when it comes to fixing all that is wrong with the way that we raise children today with entitlement attitudes and with no resiliency, with the belief that everybody should be rewarded even when they don't do or when they don't succeed, that everybody's supposed to be equal, and we tell them a lie, even though that is incredibly complex. The first step is simple. That which your child can do for themselves, require them to do for themselves. That's the first step on the road. And with that, I'd like to welcome back uh, one of TSP's good friends, 
uh, Joel Riles of Dunitas Canines. Hey, Joel, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Thanks, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Joel, last time you were on, we talked specifically about dogs and, and dog training and your methodology with that. Um, we have a completely different subject uh, to, to discuss today, but I actually think that a little bit about that and, and your background and how you ended up where you are, it'd be really good for people that maybe didn't hear that show. Uh, so as we get into talking about training young men for the next generation, they kind of understand where you're coming from. So could you talk about you know, your military background and uh, and the role that canine has played in all of this as well. Absolutely. Well, I uh, I joined the military in 2001, and um, and so I've been in the military in one form or another uh, from then up until uh, just recently. So I spent basically 12 years in the military. Uh, was a military police officer, but didn't actually get to spend all that much time in the military police corps, especially uh, pretty much from captain on. I uh, was an officer, and um, I deployed to Afghanistan uh, as a military police uh, platoon leader. I deployed to Iraq on what they were calling military transition teams, which basically meant uh, 11 guys living with the Iraqis for a year and helping them develop uh, their battalions and, uh, and their operations and stuff like that. Um, I was in Colombia, Bogota, Colombia, for seven months helping run the uh, war on drugs down there through the embassy. And, uh, and then besides that, just, um, you know, all of my time in the military has been spent either with troops or in operations. And so, uh, doing a lot of training and a lot of, tra- uh, you know, planning for training for, uh, for the, the soldiers that, uh, that we had under our command. Very cool. Um, now this is an interesting question I have out of your notes because I find myself very torn with this. You're at a point now, after all of that, where you actually are discouraging parents from encouraging their children to enter the military. I say I struggle with it because I have two schools of thought on it. One, I'm very dissatisfied with the the direction that our military is headed at the command level. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly would not want to serve under the current commander-in-chief, and I wouldn't have exactly been overjoyed over serving under the last two either, I did serve on, under the one before that, and I, you know, at the time I was fully indoctrinated. Um, on the other hand, um, you've got a force out there that's going to exist, and you know, when I hear people say, you know, especially in, from the libertarian world, don't have these these young men and women in the military. I feel like, well, that's great. We're going to end up with the people in there that blindly follow everything, and we won't right. have that counterbalance. So. What what are your thoughts on that? Because I, you know, if the military was made up of like five thousand guys, I wouldn't really care because that's right. not hard to counterbalance. But you know, with the size of the force we have, what are your thoughts on that balance? Because man, it's the good people that we're in, like when you were in, that keep things from going completely off the rails. Absolutely. The I guess the the easiest way to kind of you know wrap up my views on it is that there are a lot of really well-meaning people in the military still trying to push things along. And uh, I would have classified myself among them when I was there. Um, I did not get out of the military because um, of those issues or struggles. I got out of the military because it was the best thing for my family. So I don't want people to think uh, when they hear that I'm discouraging young men from entering the military that I, I have an issue with the military or I'm bashing the military in any way. 
Uh, I'm actually very thankful for the time that I had in the military. The issue as I see it is that a lot of the young men and women that are going into the military um, are still in stages in their life when they're very impressionable, very vulnerable, have never been out on their own before, um, and they go into the military where there's little or no um, accountability for what it is that they do. And so for some parents, this isn't a problem, and you know, this my, my program and my solutions wouldn't necessarily be applicable uh, in those situations, but for a lot of people, whether it's the drug use, whether it's um, the issues with uh, senior um, officers and enlisted, uh, the you know we see the news stories all the time where there's uh, you know sexual abuse of both men and women in the military uh, from seniors as well as uh, issues with uh, hazing, uh, as well as you know the generals being asked questions for promotion like would you fire on U.S. citizens. And, uh, and then the development of Northcom and all these other issues that are concerns for people. And, uh, and, you know, they, they kind of go on and on. It's, it's amazing how fast everything is changing. There's, you have a specific set of young men and women who can handle the challenges that are going to occur. The problem is that the vast majority of people are not those small group of people. And but the, yet the vast majority of young men are still very interested in learning those skills uh, in one form or another. And there's people that have no concerns about those things one way or the other, but they just don't want to dedicate the time needed, uh, you know, two years minimum, you know, up to four years for an initial uh, signing your life away. And I don't right. think a lot of people really understand how true that statement is. That's Absolutely. that's that's the facts. Um you know, one of the things that I have a real problem with with our military today is that when I joined, I was 17 years old, mm -hmm. and I stood up and I raised my hand and I took an oath. And I absolutely emphatically meant every word that I said that didn't mean that I understood it. Right. right. Uh, taking an oath to a constitution, which you do not know, doesn't mm -hmm. do very much to keep the soldier or the airman or the sailor um, germane to the task. Right. Because you do not understand what you're pledging an oath to. Correct. And it almost seems to me, and I'm not one that writes policy or even really works to change policy, honestly. I'm more concerned with – that's why I like what you're doing. I'm more concerned with solutions for the person mm -hmm. rather than trying to fix a destroyed system. But it seems to me that one way that would be remedied, and I would feel much more comfortable, is if a new member going into armed service had to take a, a constitutional test – to at least understand the basic fundamental realities of what the Constitution says so that they know what the heck they're pledging an oath to. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, and this is why I tend to agree with your stance, I think that would be the last thing that our current military command structure would want. Yeah, the, you know, one of the things that this system that I'm trying to encourage, and, and just for the record, I think that programs like this, I would love to see them springing up all over the country. Um, I don't think that uh, it's something that, you know, I need to be the only one doing. But, um, you know, one of the things that the, could benefit people even planning to go into the military from uh, this perspective is that that is one of the things that we actually go over in our leadership uh, courses is the founding of our nation and, you know, what does the Constitution mean? What does it give the responsibility to? Because as I see it, that's really the greatest decline in manhood in America right now. 
And, uh, you know, our, our systems are taking good care of our ladies right now for the most part. I mean, in terms of uh, giving them opportunities and education and all of that kind of stuff. But there's been numerous books written and you can you know see it in a lot of different areas of culture where men have been left behind or forgotten. And what I mean specifically is young men in their training. And I think we need healthy womanhood and healthy manhood to make uh, our nation well again. And I completely agree with that. I like to throw something at you here because you're an animal guy and you understand animal behavior and, and, and being someone that's worked with a lot of people in the military, you would probably understand how a lot of times they relate to each other. So there was a study done in, in some, I can't remember what nation in Africa, where all of a sudden these these young rogue male elephants and, and yep. elephants age about like humans do. Mm. Um, they actually live a little longer than us. So they, in their teens, a male elephant in his teens is a lot psychologically, with nowhere near the reasoning capacity, but a lot psychologically and hormonally like an adolescent male human. Mm-hmm. And they started going crazy. They were going into villages and killing people. Not provoked, like just causing mayhem, attacking other animals, destroying things. And the researchers could not figure out what the cause of this behavior was. And they looked right. at areas where the elephants still were behaving typically. They're not a safe animal mm-hmm. to just mess around with, but they generally don't run into a village and start pounding people into pulp. Right. And what they found was the places where the elephants were still behaving normally, there was still a good population of older elephants. Older and male the, elephants. And bachelor herds, the old males basically kept the young males in check and taught them the ways. Now, I'm not anamorphizing here. They don't sit down and have a class and teach right. the things that we teach. But that dynamic, when it was removed and these yep. young male elephants were set free, they acted on their basal instincts with no check. Absolutely. I think a huge freaking part of why we have all the problems with our modern youth is that older males not there. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. And that, that study is one that I quote quite frequently as well. And the, uh, yeah, the male, the older male elephants would keep the younger males in check. And what they would find is where the herds were healthy is that when the young males would start to do destructive things like that, the older males would essentially come in and, and knock them down and put them in their place and say, that's not how you act. You know, they didn't say that, but that's basically what they were doing to sure. the males. And, um, and, you know, one of the problems that we have, and I see this when we deploy in the military a lot, and uh, is young men with no direction and no purpose, they go on their missions that they have to go on during the day, and they immediately go back into their tents or their hooches at night, or, or even when they're just not on mission, and they jump right into their video games and play video games the whole time. Now, I'm not saying that video games all by themselves are bad, but when you spend you know, 20 waking hours a day because you can't sleep because you haven't beat such and such a level yet playing video games, you have this sense or feeling of accomplishment that doesn't actually accomplish anything. And so we have, we've built a culture where young men feel like they're accomplishing things, but they're not actually accomplishing anything of value. And, uh, and so my encouragement to young men is we need to get up, you know, in 1960, 70% of young men were grown up, and, and the way that they described grown up was that they had jobs, they were pursuing families, so they're pursuing these families, and that's, that's just a you know, real basic outline of what it means to be grown up. They're not talking about a lot of details here, but what they found today is that 70% of young men are not grown up by the age of 30. So we've got these 30-year-old young men you know, who 
don't have jobs, are not pursuing families, or at least if they do have a job, it's like this, you know, there's this part-time job, and they're basically hanging out in their parents' basements playing video games all the time. And uh, when you look at the video game statistics from the companies themselves, the average age of a gamer is 35 years old. Now, I don't know about most other people, but to me that points to a huge problem, not that we shouldn't have video games, but that we need to get back to work. What, what portion of our lives should they occupy? I mean, I'm 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 41, I think now, 40 or 41. I, I don't know, keep track, but the the concept of that hurts my freaking head. I mean, you're okay. talking about people that are roughly within five years of my age that spend their lives playing video games. I do not even comprehend it. No, I mean, and and ultimately the economic decline that we're seeing is not because people don't have jobs, but because people are not working. And uh, a friend of mine likes to quote, he says, you know, when the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower, there weren't a lot of jobs, but there was a lot of work to be done. <laughs> and, uh, and they got to work and they built a country. You know, yeah. and obviously other people came over and, and things of that nature. But the bottom line was the philosophy of that age was you work hard and accomplish things. The philosophy of, of our age is play. Well, I think that's destructive. And I think a lot of other people think that's destructive. And so the idea that we have is how do we fix this destructive mentality, and the only solution that I really see is that we need to start apprenticing and mentoring young men back into real life. And you know, uh, before we go, because I want to get into your program, which I think is awesome, but you're, you're making me think of stuff here that um, I've noticed over the years that seems subtle, but they're major. So hmm. what I mean by that is I remember when I was young and I was out looking for a job, and when people were having trouble finding a job, they would say things like, it's hard to find a job. I can't get a job. I'm trying to get a job. Today, right. I hear people in the same age groups as I was back then in the same situations. And you know what they say? The one word that changes, no one will give, give me. me a job. Absolutely. And that that's something, I, until you were just talking right now, I really never thought about how deep that is. But that's what I hear all the time. Today. No one will give me a job. And that... Right. Change in language is a complete change in mindset. Absolutely. And, you know, when we bring young men in, and, and we've been doing this for a couple years on various levels, and we're really trying to amp it up here, but, you know, I bring these young men in, and the first month typically is miserable. And it's miserable for them and us, not that it's not joyful at the same time because you see the progress, but what you have to break through in that first month is that they've been used to their entire life, and I think this is just uh, uh, the nature of our current systems and, and your average public school and things of that nature, is that they've been used to their whole life being handed everything, being told exactly what to do and exactly how to do it. And a lot of what we, I specifically do is I give tasks and I give a certain amount of guidance, and then they're told, go and accomplish it. And, you know, being in the military, when I had a soldier, like I had a sergeant, and I would say, okay, this is the mission that I need accomplished. The good sergeants were always the one that said, Roger, and went out and made it happen. Yep. The, the ones that you hated to deal with, every time they would come and, and, and see you, you're just like, oh, what is it going to be this time? Is the one who said, well, I had this little hang-up, so what do I do now? Well, I had this little hang-up, so what do I do now? And you just want to say, figure it out. Has yes. nobody ever taught you how to think it critically and solve a problem? You have a problem, solve it. And, uh, and we've really lost that as a culture. And we, you know, that's one of the things that we try to do is to give them problems that are difficult 
and then say, figure out how to solve it. And, and let me got, just say before you go on, for anybody that's going, well, that's a military and that's a military issue. I was an employer for 20 years either as a manager or a company owner. This is the same crap I dealt with with people with everything from construction jobs to, to, to desk jobs. Here's a task. Get it done. Well, what do I do if? Sometimes it's not even I ran into a hiccup. Mm-hmm. It's, they haven't even got started. Well, what do I do if? Well, what do I do if? What do I do if? And you, I mean, if you ask me that one more time, you're going to be asking me, what do I do when I walk out of here without a job? Mm-hmm. This crap affects everybody. For those, I just wanted to say that for you. For anybody out there that thinks, well, this is like a military or a tactical thing. It's not. This is... This is systemic, and I think that's why you're trying to address it. Absolutely. Well, you know, it, the people who are managers and companies are people who get things done. So if you want your son to, you know, lay bricks, and there's nothing wrong with laying bricks, but if that's what you want him to do his whole life and to never be the guy who's directing the guy who is laying bricks, then don't do anything. But if you want your son to be a leader, if you want him to accomplish great things in his life, and that's ultimately what we're calling young men back to is you need to have a vision to accomplish something great because everything has not just been done. You know, I used to, when I was younger, I used to look around and say, well, every, everything's been done. You know, they found America. They went to the South Pole. They, you know, took a ship around the world. There's nothing else to do. And, and as I've grown older, I've realized there is a tremendous amount of work still to be done, and we need to get excited about it, and we need to have our young men pursuing these great things, whether it's building successful companies, whether it's helping existing companies manage themselves more efficiently, whether it's um, you know training young men to be entrepreneurs. Whatever the situation is, we have huge things that need to happen in order for our country to recover, and we're never going to recover the country taxing people more and having socialized health care. <laughs> uh, we we could go down a rat hole there, so I want to get into what you're actually doing on the on the solution side. You have a program called the Duntos Manhood Module and Mentorship Program. What exactly is that, and who is it targeted for? Is this for any young man, or is this for troubled young folks? What what's the mission? What's the methodology, and who is the target? Well, the target is any young man between 16 and 25 years of age. Uh, we would consider um, very, you know, adjusting that a little bit under specific circumstances, but as a general rule, we're trying to keep it to young men who are essentially just starting off in life. And in Alaska, 16 is the age of emancipation, so it's the same as 18 in most other places in the country. Um, but the Dunitas training program is it's designed to help rebuild manhood in America. And um, we are encouraging young men to embrace responsibility to overcome challenges, so to be able to solve problems on their own, and to engage the culture in productive ways. Um, And so, you know, we're not just saying you have to be a leader. We need, you know, successful plumbers who are running successful plumbing businesses, too. Um, And one of the kind of catchphrases that we use in the program is that the victories of the past help to build the confidence for the future. And it used to be that young men would be alongside their fathers or some other apprentice uh, or you know mentor that would give them challenges so that they could accomplish things and build their confidence. And we've lost that today. And so that's one of the things that we try to do through our program. Um, we're also, it's designed in such a way to put forth individualized challenges so that uh, young men can overcome uh, something. They can uh, build their confidence for future endeavors and ultimately, they'll have the confidence and the discipline to move forward and do something that's worth doing. 
So um, we do set it in a military type of environment. And by that, I don't mean a, uh, a drill sergeant type of program because that's not the intent, although we do require discipline. But your kids aren't going to get you know yelled at or uh, made to do 100 push-ups or anything like that. The idea here is that they walk alongside, talk alongside me and my family, they are uh, given specific training sessions where we will um, learn things like patrolling. We'll learn things like scouting and tracking, uh, both with and without dogs. We'll learn uh, how to move through the woods uh, quietly. We'll learn how to clear rooms, which equates to you know clearing your own house and protecting your house uh, if the need arises. And uh, so that's some of the fun stuff. We're also going to do a lot of firearms training with uh, handguns, carbines, and shotguns. Um, and then we're also going to integrate a lot of uh, canine work into that. So they'll get to play with dogs and have some fun there. And, uh, and then to me, one of the most important aspects is we're going to have a lot of sessions and, uh, and do a lot of assignments in terms of leadership. And so they're going to learn not only how to lead, but also how to follow. Because one of the things you learn in the military is that there are no good leaders who aren't also good followers. And you need to know when to lead and when to follow. And so they'll be in both of those positions throughout the course. Um, and so that when they walk away, they have the confidence and ability to step up and lead when it's needed. And we have a, a real lack of leadership in our nation today. But they'll also learn how to follow proper authority without losing the ability to think through the process and, uh, and to be held accountable for their own actions. And uh, so all this is accomplished and conducted in four months. It's a resident training program. And uh, they essentially uh, come in and live with our family for four months. And, uh, and we go day and night. And uh, so it's pretty intensive. However, they walk away with what I would say is the equivalent of about a two-year military experience. And, um, and in the process, we get to go do some really fun things like uh, Alaska hunting adventures, depending on the time of year that we're in. I, I, you know, I'm really encouraged to hear you use the word leadership so much there. Um, to me, this is the biggest problem with our current generation is failure in leadership I am actually absolutely sick and tired of hearing pundits and talking heads talk about the need for leadership, the need for leadership. Even though I agree with the, the, the phrase, I do not agree with the way that it's being used. In other words, mm -hmm. we need someone to lead us. And, the, the, and I think I said this with James Kunstler on the show. The biggest failure in leadership in the United States of America today is at the individual level. Yes. Yeah, one of the things I tell my sons all the time is you will be leaders wherever you go. And what I mean by that is not that they're going to walk into every room they ever walk into and take charge of everybody in that room. But what I mean by that is that when you walk into a room, if the person that's essentially in charge in that room says, we're going to go do something immoral, you're going to stand up and say, oh, no, we're not. Or at the very least, you're going to stand up and say, well, at least I'm not. And so... Being a leader is more than necessarily taking charge of a large group of people, but rather it's saying, I have standards that I will not compromise on, and no matter what people are doing around me, I'm going to hold to those standards, and if you don't like it, then you know maybe I'll have to leave or maybe you'll have to leave, but I will not acquiesce to whatever it is that they're having an issue with. And, um, and so, of course, that can be done 
in a in a proper way or an improper way. But the idea here is that every every man should be a leader. Everybody needs leadership, and they need to be willing to stand up when something is wrong and say, "This far and no farther." And if we don't have men who are willing to do that, we're going to end up in a situation where we have no freedom, where our chains will rest heavy on us. And not, not, you know, I'm not a fan of chains at all. But <laughs> right now, our chains are essentially resting lightly. But the chains are going to get heavier and heavier. And ultimately, we're going to end up in a situation where our nation is no longer the nation that was founded, but it's going to be something completely different. Yeah, um, that's really, really deep, wise words. When I look at all of this, my my first thought is if if we don't change it right now, this mm-hmm. generation, it's done. It's over. This is like the last chance before the only way it'll change is when people wake up and find themselves in, in, in the change that their forefathers cast off. And only at yep. the point of going, holy crap, there's nothing else to do except fight, will we ever change it. This is the, the, like the last generation to head this off because the word I've been using ever since it was used by a, a counselor that I had on the show is teacup kids. And mm-hmm. we have, and this, I think this is, I know you've said that the ladies are fairly well looked after today. I don't know that that's true. Um, I think they have as many problems, especially in growing up as boys do. I expect a little bit more backbone, I guess, from a male than a female is one way to put it. And I know some women are going to be pissed at me, but I'm sorry. That's just, just what I'm saying. There's a certain amount of toughness that goes along with males I expect to be a little higher than women. But we have children today that can't cope with the least amount of adversity. And right. I actually have gotten to a point now, and the more that I've researched this, and the more I've seen its effects on society, I've actually changed the term from teacup to china plate. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think the teacups were largely in your generation and mine. They're our age now. And yeah. they've raised the china plate. What I mean by that is, so like a teacup, you can be easily damaged and, and cracked and whatever, but your teacup, general teacup every day, or your coffee cup, if you set it down on the table and gets a scratch or a nick in it, you're like, yeah, you know, it's not ruined. It's you know, it's right. damaged, and that's the that's the generation that that we come out of, and this is where this degradation started. But the people that are the teacups in that generation now, the children are china plates. Well, the china yeah. plate stays in the cabinet, and you only take it out on special occasions. And if it gets a nick in it, it's it's a, it's it's a tragedy. It's not just a crack right. or broken that's a problem. God forbid it even have a, a, an imperfection. And right. right. These children today are being led by people with this mindset. And we can talk about how, yeah, there's more single mothers and that the male influence is gone and all. And, and I get that, and I think it's a huge problem. But I think the total roadmap set ahead today that basically says don't struggle you know, is the, is the entire problem. And I see as many parents and in, intact in, in families doing this stuff as I do see it from, and in some cases, it's the kids coming from single-parent households that are actually better equipped, not because it's a better model, but because at least they had to do something. Well, their parents realized that there was a definite problem, and yeah. they did something to try and overcome that problem. And the problem in most of your, quote-unquote, intact families is... Um, that they think there's no problem. And, you know, we need to wake up to the fact that there's a huge problem and it's not the federal government and it's not the fact that Obama is president. The, the huge problem is that you get what you deserve as a nation. There's a reason that these people are in the positions that they're in and it's because 
the nation as a whole asked for them to be in those positions. And so if we have a problem with that, we need to really wake up and, and recognize that the problem is far deeper than the people who are in leadership because we elect the people who are in leadership. And, you know, I, I agree with you in terms of there, there are still issues um, for young ladies. And my wife has mentored young ladies from time to time. But obviously that wouldn't be appropriate for me to do. So I kind of stay away from that. But uh the you know when we we talk about getting these young men into these positions you know i think that there's an appropriate place for young men to be in positions of political leadership but i don't think that's for everybody necessarily i think there's there is an appropriateness for young men to be in the military but i think that they need to be properly prepared and equipped for that before they go i think that there's um, you know, a lot of areas that we need to be encouraging our young men to get into. But I think what we've largely done is we've created this mentality that we should take our children while they're still children and haven't really been trained in anything and send them off to war. And, you know, really, it would be like going through a, a kindergarten school and collecting all the children up and handing them guns and sending them over to, you know, Iran or wherever the next you know, hotspot will be. And nobody would do that. And everyone would agree that it's ludicrous. But yet we do it with our children all the time in terms of we, we don't prepare them for what's ahead. And then we just expect that they'll be equipped and ready to go when the time comes. And what our history has borne out is that over the last, uh, you know, five generations, we've seen a consistent and, and, a, uh, and an ever-increasing decline in our culture, in our morality, in our ability to uphold the standards set forth by our founders and what our nation was built on, in our economy, everything is declining and everyone recognizes the problem. The, uh, the real issue at hand, in my opinion, is we, we can't agree on the solution. And there's really been a movement lately to return to mentorship and apprenticeship. And uh, it's funny to me that a lot of your Fortune 500 companies are actively seeking homeschoolers uh, to hire into their management positions. And what this says to me is they recognize that the di one of the major differences between homeschooled children and public school children is because they're walking so closely with their parents, whether or not they ever intended this to be the case, the, the, a mentorship of sorts happens. And, um, and those children are walking alongside their parents in, you know, with massive amounts of contact hours for, you know, 12, 15 years. And so, um, when they walk away from that, they're far better equipped than sitting in a classroom, staring at a, a teacher talking for a little bit of time and having no real practical application. And, you know, the homeschool movement is replete with people who are practically applying things. Not that everybody does it perfectly or anything like that. No, but I but think the track record's better. It speaks for itself. Right. And um, and so when you look at the, the methodologies, you know, the walk alongside, talk alongside is far more effective than the sit in a classroom and have bike for 12 years without ever getting on a bike and riding it. And uh, that's an analogy. I can't take credit for it. Another friend of mine mentions that. But he said basically the public school model is you take bike for 12 years. You take bike 101. This is a pedal. This is a steering wheel. This is a brake. And you do that for 12 years without ever getting on a bike. Whereas in a mentorship program and an apprenticeship program, you say, here's a bike. Sit down on it. See, that's what it feels like to sit on the seat. Okay, now when you make these things go around, the bike goes forward. Ready? Start pedaling. Oh, you fell over. Get up. Let's try it again. 
Correct. And, and so by letting them, quote unquote, fall over in a protected environment where it's not disastrous for their life, um, you know, you're able to build confidence. And before long, you have guys, you know, doing backflips off ramps and all sorts of other crazy things. Well, you know, figuratively, that's what we want to do uh, in the real world is we want to bring these young men in. We want to give them the opportunity to accomplish something great with the possibility of failure, but where they're encouraged through it, they're built up, you know, they're told you can do it even when they think that they can't. And ultimately at the end of the day, they're successful. And then they walk away thinking I can actually go out and do something that's worth doing in this world. And they're not paralyzed with fear. And they've, they've had a chance to really do some study in entrepreneurial um, methodologies in leadership um, and, you know, they even have some practical application in things like training and things like that, which we do have a very small select amount of people that we keep on longer term and train them up so that if they want to actually do that as a business specifically, they have that opportunity. But for the most part, young men are wanting to come in, gain a skill set, maybe take it back to their families so that their whole family benefits, but they want to walk away confident and able to do things. And uh, and young men. What are some of the skills? I mean, I know we're talking about coping skills and all. That's a huge part of this. But what about some hard skills? What are some hard skills that a person that goes through your program walks away with? Well, what we're doing is we're bringing young men in with the idea that they will be able to go back out and teach these things, at least on a basic level, to their families. So they're going to learn uh, defensive skills. We're going to be doing uh, combat drills. Uh, we're going to learn uh, a lot of the um, they call them battle drills in the military, uh, which will have some direct but mostly indirect connections to real life, but things such as clearing a building, things such as moving through the woods undetected and doing reconnaissance. But, you know, keep in mind things like that are, you know, you clear your house, you hunt for food, you, um, you know, when you're doing reconnaissance, you're paying attention to detail and you're, you're applying that and remembering it for longer periods of time. We're also going to be integrating dogs into this, which will show how dogs can force multiply a very small unit, and uh, it'll also encourage people in the future to utilize dogs so that in their home protection and things of that nature, they um, they can be far more effective than they can without them. And then um, in our leadership, one of the things that we're also doing is uh, we're actually going through and writing business plans. And so they're going to be uh, giving presentations, and they're going to be writing business plans, and they're going to be leading small little units through uh, various different missions. So they'll, they're actually going to walk away with a skill set similar to what they would get in basic training in AIT if they were to go into combat arms. So um, so they'll have that specifically. They're also going to you know greatly increase their firearms capabilities. We're going to do essentially basic through advanced firearms training in handgun, carbine, and shotgun. And then we're going to do a lot of practical application just in terms of problem solving and enduring uh, hardship when we go out on our Alaskan adventures and uh, whether we're hunting caribou on the north slope and we're having to drag our caribou five miles back to the road in a sled or in our backpack uh, or whether we go black bear hunting in the spring uh, or moose hunting in the fall, there'll be, uh, there'll be a lot of things that they have to go out and overcome, but it'll be in a setting that's really enjoyable for them. That's very cool, and I want to say a few things. I'll then get your thoughts. There might be some background noise on my end, but we're going to power through this interview, and I'll just mute when you're talking, so I apologize if anybody out there can hear the compressors running in the background. Um, but what you're talking about enduring hardship, I think is so critical to success. 
And it makes me think of something we've been talking about this week on the show. I call it a duocracy, and I also stole that from someone, <laughs> uh, as you admitted to, to earlier, with, with a concept. And I can't remember the guy's name, but he was on the air about maker workshops. And he said in his group that they run it as a duocracy. In other words, the people that do stuff get to decide, mm-hmm. right? And the people that right. talk about it, they can decide when they start doing yeah. So if you, if you, if you, you know, we're going to paint the, the shed, okay, well, should we do green, blue, or yellow? Whoever grabs a brush and starts painting, it gets to decide. Right. Now, I'm trying to say that our society should be more like that, but I also say in many ways that the duocracy is real, which is why mm-hmm. people that were 55 years old worked for me when I was 30. Okay, and that's, that's just because I did, and they talked about it, and they were useful if they were directed, but they didn't do. Um, mm-hmm. What you get when you go through adversity is an understanding that it'll be okay and it, 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 the, the, the greatest adversity exists before the best triumph. And what I mean by that is the day that you're sitting on a deer stand freezing your butt off and you think your toes are going to fall off and it's cold and you can't wait for the sun to come up so that it at least gets a little warm and it does and then the, the, the wind comes in and the sleet comes in. That's the day you take the buck out. That's the day you shoot your first deer. And mm-hmm. it doesn't always have, I like that you're talking about hunting, it doesn't always have to be hunting, but it's something like that. It's kids that force their way through that summer football camp and think they're not going to make it, and they do. All of these things have been taken from our children because we don't want them to be inconvenienced or to be harmed or to be hurt. And we're doing more harm, in my opinion, by taking away that adversity than just about anything we could do. Yeah, we think that if we give them a challenge and they fail, that it's going to destroy their desire to proceed. Whereas what we don't really realize is what we're doing there is we're insulating them from failure, and so they're afraid of everything. Whereas if we would give them the opportunity to fail in a safe environment, whether that's football camp or whether it's a class like what I'm doing or whether it's within a home, if we give them the opportunity to fail, we encourage them through it. Wow, you know, that that was a setback, but how can we overcome it? And uh, and we work through those things, then what we end up producing are men like the, the founders, men like the pilgrims and Puritans who came over to America and essentially took the wilderness and turned it into you know a livable area that we see today, is it wasn't easy for them. You know, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is when the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower, there were about 100 people on board, and by the end of their first winter, there were 50. Half of them died. But they, they persevered and endured, and they built a nation. And that's not to say that we should put our children in a situation where they could possibly die. The point to that being they were willing to persevere, and they created something great. And you know we need to train ourselves and our children to persevere so that we can accomplish things that are great. And one of the problems is in our culture, people who are your age and mine, they, they don't know how to persevere themselves. So they don't know how to train their children to persevere. And that's where I think, you know, programs like this are productive for people because my, my point is never to say your father failed or your mother failed or whatever. My point is to say that they did the best that they could, but they had certain limitations. And I've been blessed to have these experiences that I can pass on to you and bolster your ability to move forward in the world. And they're really a success because they sent you here. And uh, or in some cases, you know, the young men save up the money and uh, and pay for it themselves. And but that's got to be encouraging for you, doesn't it? That when you have a student and and you find out that that student wanted it bad enough to to instead of being sent there, got themselves there. 
you know, the, the best thing for me in this program is I've had young men who have sacrificed and come up and lived with us for, you know, sometimes a year at a time. And, uh, and when they go back home and they're getting ready to get married, They'll call me up and say, what do you think about this girl? She, you know, these are her character qualities. Do you think I should move forward or do you think I should find somebody else? Or they're getting ready to, you know, go through a nursing program in a college and they say, you know, hey, while I was there, you know, you, you saw the things that I did. Do you think this would be a good fit for me? And, you know, I always try and encourage them to talk to their parents about this as well. But it's been so encouraging to see that they look at me and my wife as a, you know, in a sense as like pseudo parents, you know, they, they, because they've lived with us and, you know, we're not the wisest people in the world, but whenever somebody's 10 years or more older than you, I always say that they're, they're out of your peer bracket. They have wisdom that you don't have. And even if you disagree with something, you need to understand that when you're 10 years older, you're going to think completely different than you do today. And, uh, and so we've been able to show that to these young men over and over and over again. If you do this, this will be the result. Not because I'm brilliant, but just because I've seen it happen over and over again. And then what do they do? They make the stupid choice, have the stupid consequence, and come back and say, you were right. I stink. Okay, now I've got that there's some, a little bit of extra wisdom here. How can I benefit from that? What are some of your advice to parents? I mean, obviously, you'd love to see more people come to your program, but if, if – one percent of the people that listen to this program try to send their kid or go themselves to your program, you'd be booked for 10 years. Um, so <laughs> yeah. you, I know you want more programs like this for that very reason. But there are a lot of parents out there just saying, OK, my kid's like 10 right now. How, how do I instill this in him now so that someone else doesn't have to later? You know, my my advice is always and Joel Salatin uses this with farming. And I've heard um, a guy, Joel McDermott, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he uses this in terms of reclaiming America. He says you do what you can do right now and then you try and do more in the future. And what they basically mean by that is there are certain things that we can do right now that we love to complain about, but that we don't really take action on. Um, if you want to farm, then start putting some plants in the ground and learning how they grow. You know, the information you learn there will help you be able to plant a 100-acre farm later on. Well, if you want your children to get more mature, then I think that the best way to do that is through a mentorship slash apprenticeship type of model. Well, parents can start including their children. I think the very first thing, and this is my personal recommendation, it may not be right for everybody, but I think the very first thing we need to do is bring our children home and stop asking other people to train them because other people are failing us. And, you know, I don't mean to, you know, completely bash any kind of like public school teachers or anything like that. They're doing the best that they can, but that model is broken. It wasn't the model that was used by our founders. It's a, it's a new model in history. You know, the, the historical model has always been one of walk alongside, talk alongside, mentorship and apprenticeship. And for 6,000 years, it was pretty successful. And the Industrial Revolution brought some good things, but it brought a lot of bad things with it, too. And, uh, you know, the nation wasn't built because of the Industrial Revolution. The nation was built because people trained their own children. And so I think that would be the first step is to train your own children. And then they did hard work. And so, you know, bring your children to work if possible. If it's not possible, my encouragement for parents is to find ways. If you if you bring your children home, your freedom and possibilities open up beyond what you can imagine if you're not already in that state. And um, you can start having your kids run a lemonade stand during the day when they would normally be in school because 
new shock to most people, it doesn't take eight hours a day to train a student in K-12 education. It takes three or four hours a day, maybe, and then you can spend the rest of the day studying things that are practical or useful or that are interesting to a student. So if they're really interested in music, how many public schools let them study music for four hours a day? Not very many. But if you homeschool your children and they're really gifted in music, they can spend a couple hours a day doing arithmetic and reading and history and science, an hour each, and that's four hours. And then they can spend the rest of the day composing or practicing, you know, violin or whatever it is that they do. Well, and don't think they're not going to learn a lot about mathematics from from music and don't think they're not going to learn a lot about history from music and don't think they're not going to become more literate from music. I mean, that's just the thing about it is all of the history and math and literacy that they learn is practical. It's useful. They learn the things that they need to learn to do what it is they want to do. And I don't have anything against calculus. I, I liked math in college and high school. And so, you know, I, I did, you know, the, all the crazy math classes and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, I don't use calculus on a daily basis. I'm not a physicist. And even though I find that stuff interesting, it's not useful to me in my daily life. So I'm not saying not to learn it. But what I am saying is if you compose music, there's a certain math that goes into it that is a useful math for that discipline. And so it, you know, it applies to a million different things. But you know, back to Bike 101, we don't want to say here's a pedal. We want to say put your foot on the pedal and start pushing. And you can do that when you bring your, your children home. If you can't, if you're in one of those situations where – and just, a, just as a side note, saying that you're a single parent or something like that, and I feel for single parents – But that's not an excuse because plenty of single parents are out there doing it and making it happen. But if you are one of those people that are in a situation where you just can't bring your children home, you can't start doing these practical things, then try to find someone who is doing this and try to get your children connected to them. And that could be a million different things. If your child wants to be a lawyer, my program is probably not the best fit for them, although it can help you know, train them in some leadership and stuff like that. But what you want to do is find a lawyer who, when your kid is 10, 12 years old, will be willing to let them come maybe after school or maybe after you do your homeschool or something like that, and sit and start just researching stuff that the the lawyer may have. It may not be useful for him for a couple of years, but you know, if you start when your kid's 12, by the time he's 15, he's going to be the best paralegal there is. And well, he, and he also may go, you know what he might do? It might save him a lifetime of wasted effort. Because, because I know people that went to law school and after they yep. got out of law school and became a lawyer went, this sucks. Yep. I know Absolutely. people that have architectural degrees one was married to a a friend of mine and she ended up designing closets with an architectural degree uh making a very good living designing closets like closet organization and stuff like that but she certainly Mm -hmm. didn't need an architectural degree to do that and she didn't need the uh, 100 grand worth of student loan debt that went along with it and a a, a kid that thinks being a lawyer is cool may get into a law office and go this is not what i want to do and Absolutely. If you're going to invest eight years of education in something like you do to be a lawyer, you want to be and it's good to know in the first year <laughs> rather than the ninth. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the other beautiful things about mentorship is, you know, when you're in college, you, it's easy to glorify something either in your mind or from the from the professor's perspective to glorify it to his students that, ooh, it's going to be so much fun when you get to sit and read through law manuals eight hours a day. Now, some people love that, but for most people, not the most fun thing in the world. So when you actually start using this stuff practically, you uh, you wake up to the fact real early on that 
this is for me or this is not for me. And uh, and with parents doing that, you know, bring your your children along with you to work if it's at all possible. And I'm not saying every day. I, I do a lot of stuff in an office, and and sometimes my children are well, most of the time. Some of my children are sitting right there next to me. Now, they may not be doing exactly what I'm doing, and I don't expect them to stare at my computer, but they're sitting there reading their book or doing their math lesson while I'm on the phone talking to people or while I'm writing a contract or whatever the case may be, and I say, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this? Or when I'm done with a phone conversation, I say, how do you think I did? And they're learning from a very early age how to evaluate success and failure, how to evaluate, you know, how do we make ourselves better when we realize that we didn't do the best job we could. And, um, and all of these things are equipping them in the future to be successful. And the more parents can do that with their children and or find people who can do this. And if you're somebody who can do this for other people, then, you know, for this, you know, at the risk of, of offending somebody, buck up. And stop being lazy and start including young men who may not be your own children into your programs as much as you can. You know, lawyers who can bring, you know, young people in need to be bringing young people in. Now, there's some professions where you can't do that. If you're an operating room surgeon, well, you can't bring a 12-year-old in there to observe. But, you know, if you're in a position, most people are in positions where they can bring in interns and they can start teaching them. And, you know, be be willing to, for them to say, yeah, that's not for me and to move on. But you know, start investing in people. It, our nation needs to start investing in its people because if we don't, we're going to fall apart because our, our public school system, despite their best efforts, cannot invest in people. One person can't invest in 30 people one hour a day for, you know, one school year. It, it just doesn't work that way. There's no real relationship there. I'd like to add some, some things that are real simple that I think need to be done that aren't being done anymore. I've always said once your child can do something for themselves, they should do it for themselves. Now, look, Absolutely. I understand. Once the kid learns how to tie his shoes, let him tie his shoes. Let him do it wrong. Let it get untied. Let him fix it. I, if you're trying to get out the door and you've got to be somewhere on time and you're just tired of it, I understand reaching down, tying a kid's shoes, grabbing them, throwing them in a car, let's go. But other than that, mm-hmm. once they've gotten to the – they've done it one time, even halfway successfully, it's good enough. Let them do it. Let them fail. Yep. Uh, I, when, when I first met my wife – my son was like six years old, my, my stepson. And, you know, she makes him a waffle one day, and she pours the syrup on for him. Ah, no big deal. Next day I see the same thing happen. The syrup's sitting there. He's waiting for it. And I'm like, what, what, what's going on? Oh, you know, he wants me to do it. So you tell him to pour that on himself. He likes mm-hmm. what I do. I don't care. Right? And it was a, it was a, it was a, a, a struggle. He didn't want to do it. Right? But it was like, yeah, no, we're, we're not going to be doing this. And I think that there's so many examples of that. And this is what leads to this ineptitude in our children today where they can't do things because it's been done for them. And it's, it, I, it, women seem worse with it to me. It's like they because they, they want to be mothers and all. But part of being a mother or a father is understanding that your job is to eliminate your job in 18 years. Right, Absolutely. your primary job. You're always going to be their dad. You're always going to be their guide. You're always going to be their mentor. But that true parental role, you know, should be reducing each year in what it entails, so that you have a upright, capable human being at the end of it. And that means when you get to a point where you realize the capability exists, allow it to be to be expressed. Absolutely. Well, you know, the Amish have a great saying, and you know, because the Amish typically have a lot of children. I have a lot of children, so I love this saying. And um, and they say that from 0 to 12, they cost us money. From 12 to 15, 
they break even. And from 15 onward, they make us money. And, you know, ultimately what they're saying is we train our children to work from a young age. And for the first about 12 years, they can't do a very good job at it necessarily, at least in terms of being able to sell it as a, as a usable product. But they're training. By the time they're 12 to 15, they're able to do enough stuff that it, it creates, you know, it reduces our workload. So they kind of break even. But from that point on, by the time a kid is 15 in that environment, they essentially can do all of the things that, that their parents need done without any guidance at all, really, from their parents. You know, of course, of course, that doesn't negate still being around and giving some, some guidance here and there as it's necessary. But the point being, they actively involve their children in what they're doing so that they have practical skills and can bring money into the family. And that's why, you know, a lot of people are like, like oh, seven kids, how could you possibly survive? I'm like, well, you know, my oldest is 12 and she's starting to breed beagles and sell them. And so, you know, that brings us from a litter, uh, you know, and she's... And She's breeding hunting beagles, so she trains them to hunt rabbits. So she's got these beagles, and she's, she's out having to research how to ch teach a beagle to trail rabbits, which I am not a, an expert in. I train dogs, but not to that degree, not, you know, not in that specific area. And, um, and so she's learning. She's training them. She's breeding them, and now she's able to make money. She keeps some of it. She puts some of it into the family uh, so that she can learn that she's contributing and that every member of the family should be contributing. But it also builds confidence. And, uh, and it's giving her skills that she can use in the future, even in other endeavors that may have nothing to do with dogs at all. And, um, and so, you know, this kind of general concept is what we're trying to encourage people to do. And if you do it, you know, by sending your child to my training program or you do it by, um, by, you know, changing your lifestyle so that you can incorporate these philosophies with your own children, which really would be the ideal situation. Uh, I would love for my program to be completely unnecessary because all parents are so actively involved in their children's lives. But the bottom line is in our culture, we're just not there yet. And um, but if you are able, then uh, then that's that's my encouragement. And uh, that's just an example of how things function kind of around us. I think that's incredibly accurate that if a child takes on a venture like that, even if it doesn't end up being what they do for the rest of their lives, the skill set transfer, especially the business skill set transfer, is incredibly valuable because that person doesn't go looking for a job or they decide they do want a job. And they go find one that's great and they love it. That's fine. But when they get to a point where, like, okay, I can't find one, then they create an opportunity for themselves. Exactly. And that's, if a 12-year-old girl can create an opportunity for herself, what excuse do you, the 35-year-old guy playing Call of Duty, have that, you know, that's still sitting on your parents' old sofa in your basement playing video games? Exactly. Get, get off the computer and learn a program. Go make the next game and let somebody else pay for you by sitting in a basement or something. Yep. Um, and I love that you say you'd love for your program to not be necessary, but unfortunately, programs like what you're doing are going to be critical to our future for a long time to come. And there may be people out there that they're thinking, this is for me, or this is for my kid, or this is great for somebody I know. How do they learn more about what you're doing and how they can get involved with it? The, uh, the best way to learn more about the program is to go onto our website, which is www dunitas canine and that's spelled d-u-n-e-t-o-s canine.com and on the banner at the top you'll see dm3 and that stands for our dunitas manhood and mentorship program and um and that will give you all the details you need for the program uh, you can also feel free to give me a call i love uh talking to people 
And uh, it, my phone number is 907-687-9539. Or they can email me at joel, J-O-E-L, at dk-9.com. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you being with us today, uh, Joel. Uh, thanks so much for the work you're doing, and thanks for taking the time to be on the Survival Podcast yet again. It's been my pleasure, Jack. All right, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Joel Riles, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer It's like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess We follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Revolution is you